Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. That's the passage that we'll be looking at today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. You know, every church has an opportunity and even a responsibility to come ever closer together as a community, a real community of believers, a family of believers who encourage one another, who equip one another to live for Christ as both ministers and missionaries in this fallen world. And over the next four Sundays, we're going to explore four aspects of God's calling on our lives in the midst of the spiritual community that we call the church. What is God calling the church to do? And uh, we're going to learn how to serve the Lord, how to fight for the Lord. We're going to learn how to love one another and love the Lord. And today, we're going to begin by learning how to be leaders for the Lord. Now, in this passage, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it's a passage dealing specifically with those few, relatively few Christians that are called by God to be pastors. But I think there's some things that we can learn, whether we serve the Lord as a pastor or serve the Lord in any other capacity, and we'll talk about why this passage would apply to each of us. You know, every one of us wants our lives to count for something. We want to make a difference. But how can we really make a difference in other people's lives? How can we really change someone else's life? Is it possible to change someone else's life for eternity? I think that it is. And through Christ, we can have an impact and change other people's lives. And today, we're going to learn how to do that through being good leaders. And you may say, well, I'm, I'm not a leader in the church. I'm, I'm just a regular person, you know, and, and uh, I'm nothing special or anything like that. But listen, you have a place of leadership. God has placed you in a position of leadership in various ways in your life. Whether or not you have an official title in the church or whether you have an official title at work or wherever you might be uh, is uh, something that, that's nothing more than that title. You have leadership capacity and, and uh, capabilities. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it talks about that. And this is why this passage, even though it talks specifically to those that are pastors, it is applicable to every one of us. And it's because we have leadership in our lives. We have influence. If I were to ask you if you're a leader, you might say, oh, no, not really. But if I were to ask you, do you have influence? You'd say, yeah. Well, leadership and influence can very much be two sides of the same coin. So think about, when I'm talking about leadership, think about the people that you influence, because those are the people that you lead. You may even have leadership over someone that has a position above you, but you have influence with them. And so who is it that you influence in this life? Maybe it's, your, um, maybe it's your kids. Maybe your grandkids look up to you. Your spouse, your employee, your employer, other co-workers. Maybe it's fellow students. Maybe it's friends. You have a whole, a whole circle that God has given you of influence. 
And this is where these principles that we talk about will come into play because you are a leader. Now, in this passage, we'll read it together. It says, Therefore, Peter's writing, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow, fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntary, voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so in this passage, we have a very important message to every one of us, especially to those that are pastors, but really to each one of us, and there's things we can learn. You know, the most effective leaders in any aspect or arena of life are those that view themselves as shepherds. Do you look at yourself as someone who has a shepherding capacity? You might have never considered yourself a shepherd. Verse 2, though, says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Let me explain a few things about what it means to be a shepherd. A shepherd always leads the flock from the front, never from the back. The sheep, I'm talking about a literal shepherd, the sheep will follow where the shepherd goes. And so the shepherd is to lead the flock from the, from the front. He's not to be someone that, that prods them from behind to get them to go. They won't go that way. They'll just scatter. If there's a shepherd that simply pokes them from behind, they'll, they'll go any other direction. But a shepherd, rather, is someone that's in the front and the sheep will follow. Now, there's two types of shepherds, really two types of pastors, really two types of leaders. There's the type of shepherd or the type of leader that says, hey, don't question me, I'm in charge. So don't you question me. Look at this title I've got. Look at this degree I've got on the wall. Look at all this money that I make. Look at all these recognitions that people have given me. So don't you question me. There's that type of leader. There's even that type of pastor. Or there's the type of pastor, pastor that says that he's an example to the flock. And so if we're talking about pastors, there are some pastors that would say, hey, don't question me. I'm a man of God, so don't you question me. But the other type of pastor says, whatever I teach, check it with the Scriptures. And make sure that it's accurate. Because that pastor, the second pastor, submits himself to the Word of God. And so we should imitate the people that, for example, in the first century, there, there were some God-fearing people at Berea. When the gospel came to them, when they heard about Jesus, those people at, in Berea, they had the scriptures. They had the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And they heard this message about Jesus. And they weren't going to accept the message without checking it out first. And the scripture says that when Paul and Silas went on that missionary journey there, the Bereans, quote, 
were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. A good leader in life is someone that doesn't claim authority in himself or in herself, but rather says, check to see if what I'm saying is true. And when we're talking about pastors, we're talking about people that feed the flock of God, the Word of God. Check the Scriptures for yourselves. We ought to imitate the people, those Christians, those, those people who became Christians in Berea. But you have to identify with people in your life, the people that you lead. Peter tells pastors in verse 1 that he's one of them. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I can relate to you. When I give you elders' instructions, remember, Peter is far away. He's writing a letter that's going to be hand-delivered to these people that are in Rome, in the capital city, where Peter is not living right at that moment. But he's giving them instructions. He's giving the congregation, the church, their instructions and this church in this massive city probably had many meeting places, not just one, but many meeting places and people's homes. And so they had many pastors in these homes. And not only did Peter want to tell all of the Christians, listen, it's okay to go through suffering, but he had to have a word to the pastors. He said, pastors, you're going to play a special role as God's people go through the suffering that God has uh, allowed them to go through. Pastors, you're going to play a special role, and so I've got a few words for you. You're going to be leading these people. Here's how you need to do it. And he says, I'm saying this not as a disinterested third party in another city, but I'm saying this as a fellow elder. I'm in your shoes. I know what you're going through. I'm there with you in spirit. And so he has a personal appeal when you have leadership of other people and influence in other people's lives, you have to have that ability to identify with them, to put yourself in their situation, put yourself in their shoes, as the saying goes, and be able to see where they're coming from. Peter called himself a fellow elder. You know, here's Peter, pretty special person, one of only 12 men that Jesus called to walk with him as one of his apostles. Peter was one of only three men in the history of mankind who saw Jesus transfigured up on the mountain. Peter is the only person in the history of mankind who wasn't also God, yet walked on water. No one else has been able to do that. Peter's the only one, other than the one who's also God. Peter's a pretty special person. But Peter didn't say to these pastors, let me tell you something, I'm one of Jesus' apostles. So you better listen to me. He didn't say, I saw Jesus transfigured up on the mountain, so you better listen to me. He didn't say, I walked on water. Have any of you done that? No, you better listen to me. He didn't say that. He said, I'm just like you. I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow pastor. I care about these people that are about to go through some bad suffering. 
please listen because I have something very important that you need to know. Do you hear the difference in the tone between the two types of approaches Peter could have used? You have influence in people's lives, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, fellow workers, whoever it might be. Those people who you have influence over, there's a tone in which you can use that can best lead them. And the best tone is a humble tone, one that identifies with them, not one that lords it over them. If you act like you're above other people, they're just not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you. I made a decision a long time ago that um, I'm not going to get caught up in the honor or the glory or whatever it is that may, may come with being called to the vocational, vocational gospel ministry. Being a pastor. Being a pastor is very important. Very important to me. It's who I am. It's in, it's in the heart of who I am. And I couldn't get it out of me more than I could drain myself of blood and keep living. It's just who I am. But I don't ask people to call me special names. I don't ask to be called doctor or even brother or pastor. If people want to call me something like that, that's fine. But I'm David. And I hope I can relate to people. Because at the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or not. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have, what seminary you went to. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter what title you have in the church. At the foot of the cross, it's all equal ground. And we're all just sinners saved by grace. And that's it. And so, some pastors may get caught up and titles and things like that but I made a decision a long time ago I'm going to do my best not to you have to be able to identify with people in your life if you're going to lead them well a shepherd not only identifies with them but a literal shepherd watching over little sheep literal sheep he watches over the flock to make sure that none of them go astray He's watching all the time. Watching. Now, what do you do if you're a shepherd and you need to take a break? You need to get some rest. Shepherds have to sleep too. What do you do? At night, you bring the shepherd in to the fold, to the pen. And they pass through a gate or they pass through a door inside the pen. And you count them all. Make sure none of them are missing. And then you shut that gate. You shut that door. Jesus said it this way. Why do, now why, do you, why do you shut the gate and why do you shut the door? Keep the wolves out. Keep the bears out. Keep the wild animals that are going to attack the precious flock of God out. Because that flock doesn't belong to the shepherd the flock belongs to the owner of the sheep that's the lord jesus said i am the door it's the picture of jesus bringing his sheep into the fold into the pen and instead of shutting a gate 
because the gate's the only way the wild animals can get in. Instead of shutting a gate, Jesus himself lies down in that gateway. And he says, I'm the door. No one's going to get my flock. I'm not going to lose one of them. I won't lose one of them because this flock belongs to the Father. If a wild animal is going to try to get one of Jesus' flock, one of his, it's going to have to go through him. Good luck with that. That's what a shepherd is. Do you have that kind of leadership over the people that you have influence over? Do you have that kind of care? Where even when you think that they're beyond your influence, you still do your best to protect them, watch over them. You know, I've got one, one son who lives seven hours away. I can't protect him if some bad dude tries to do something, but I can pray every day. I can do my best to put a spiritual hedge of protection around him and ask the Lord for assistance. Do your very best with the people that you have influence over, the people that you care about. Act as a shepherd. Make sure that none of them go astray. All of us, by the way, are prone to stray. That's what sheep do. Sometimes sheep, they're not the brightest animals. And every one of us, by the way, is a sheep. Sometimes we have a tendency to go our own way, do our own thing. Something catches our eye and we have a tendency to walk away from the shepherd. But the shepherd brings us right back because he's watching us. We're one of his. He keeps track. And so the people in your life, if you see one of them slipping away from God, what would a shepherd do? Go rescue him. Say, come back. You're going to get in danger over there. Come back. I care about you. You know what? You do that. You try to interfere. You try to intervene in someone's life who's slipping away from God. What might they do? They might bite you. Sheep have a tendency to bite. They might bite you. But you do it anyway. And even if you get bit, you're doing your best to help that person that you have influence over to remain with the flock of God. Don't let someone you care about that you have influence over walk away from the Lord and you do nothing. No, you be a shepherd to the best of your ability. Bring them back. Rescue them. Don't let people mess up their lives. The most basic function of any shepherd is to make sure the sheep get food. To get food. And so part of your influence over people's lives means that you feed them. You might say, hey, I got that covered. I'm a good cook. I like to feed people. Well, it may be feeding them a real meal, but it's especially, we're talking about spiritual things here, feeding them the Word of God. It doesn't mean you preach a sermon to them every chance you get, but it may mean that you just Drop a scripture here and there. Remind them of the Lord. Remind them what God's doing in your life. Inspire them to come back to the Lord, to keep, keep walking with the Lord. But you feed them in any way that you can. You feed them the Word of God because you care about them. John chapter 21, 
says after they had finished breakfast, Jesus, who had been resurrected by now in the story, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You think that encounter that Peter had with Jesus had an impact in Peter's life? Absolutely. I think Peter spent the rest of his life doing the very best he could to obey Jesus. Feed my sheep. And so when Peter, I imagine, was writing this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he's writing, that, he's writing it with a pastor's heart. He says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm there with you in spirit. Feed these people. Be a shepherd. Be a shepherd. There are three keys that we see here to effective leadership. We see it in verse 2. First is to lead willingly. Peter says to the pastors there, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. You lead people, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. If your attitude is, Oh, my, now I've got to be a spiritual leader or somebody else. Listen, your heart's not right. If someone has to beg you and twist your, twist your arm for you to have good influence over other people, it's not worth it. Your heart's not right. Peter says to the pastors, you need to exercise oversight willingly, not because someone compels you to, but because you want to. No one should have to ask you or beg you to be a spiritual leader, to have influence over other people's lives. So do it willingly. Secondly, he says to lead eagerly. Next phrase says, according, or it says voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for sordid gain but eagerly. Make sure your, your uh, motives are right. If your motives with the people that you lead are for sordid gain, what's that? It's make money. If you're in it to make money, if you're influencing other people in order to gain a little bit more money, your motives aren't right. Why? Is there anything wrong with money? No, we all need money to get by. We all need money to survive. It's not that at all. But here's the deal. When money enters into a relationship, it always changes the relationship. Always. It's the nature of money. When there's an exchange of money between two people, that relationship has changed. Let's say I've got a good friend. Let's say I'm going through a hard time. I go to my friend. I say, hey, brother, can I have a loan? Sure, man. Here's a loan. Here's $1,000, whatever it is. Here's $1,000. Guess what? He's more than my friend now. I'm in debt to him. Money always changes a relationship. 
Peter knew this. He said, pastors, don't be in it for the money. Don't be in it for sordid gain. But be in it because you're eager to be in it. Same thing is true for any of us who lead. Make sure that your motives are right. If your motives are wrong, you may become slightly, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more gray and gray and gray until it's become black, and you engage in dishonest practices. You become unfair. You harm other people that God put in your life to lead. Not everyone God puts in your life is a money-making opportunity for you. It may just be that you're supposed to lead them with no sense of gaining anything from them. Just lead them. And finally, lead as an example. Lead as an example. In verse 3, it says, Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So when you lead other people, whether you're a pastor or whatever you are, there's no room for threats, there's no room for intimidation, emotional blackmail. There's no room for any of that mess. It's not easy to be a spiritual leader of someone else. Why? Because you have to have a heart of compassion. And sometimes you have to have the skin of a rhinoceros. Because you may get criticized for whatever you do. You need to have the wisdom of Solomon and the simple faith of a child at the same time. And that's a hard thing to do sometimes. But it's not impossible. Lead as an example. You ought to be an example to those that you serve. And really, when we're talking about leadership, there's only one type of legitimate leadership, and it's servant leadership. Every other type, Someone who is an authoritarian, someone who is a bully, something like that. It's not legitimate and it won't last. But servant leadership is the only type of leadership that is true. And that's the leadership that Jesus gave us. And by the way, here's the good news. There's a reward when you lead other people. Now in verse 4, we learn about a specific reward for pastors. And I like verse 4. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I like that first term, chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, because that's a reminder to every pastor, whether he's the pastor of a small church or the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, we're all just under shepherds. There's a chief shepherd, and he's coming back. And when the chief shepherd comes back, there's going to be a doling out of rewards. And for those pastors that serve the Lord faithfully, they'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The word crown there is a little Greek word, stephanos. You get the word Stephanie or Stephen from it, you know. Uh, stephanos, it means crown. And the crown of Stephanos back in ancient times was one of three things. It was either... In an athletic contest, the, the victor would get a wreath to be placed upon his head. Or, when sometimes when a Roman uh, soldier uh, or a general was out in battle, 
And if that soldier or that general was very valiant and they won a, they won a great battle for Rome, they'd come back and they'd be given a golden crown placed on their head, a Stephanos, crown of glory. Sometimes it referred to the crown worn by the king himself. But in every case, in ancient days, it was a sign of a very special honor. A, a Stephanos, that type of crown, it wasn't given to everyone. But it was only given to those who were worthy of a reward for some kind of unusually meritorious activity. And notice that it is a crown of glory. It's a crown of glory. Glory is an outwardly visible evidence of an honor. That's what glory means. We know that the Lord has honor. Will He be glorified? Will it be outwardly manifested? That's the question. And so in our lives, we want God to be glorified. We want God's honor to be outwardly manifested in our lives. This crown of glory is an outwardly manifested sign of a special honor. There are other passages in Scripture that suggest that there will be a crown of some kind given to all believers. Yet in these passages, in, in these passages, these other passages that where all of us get a crown, it seems to be, uh, uh, maybe it's a literal crown, maybe it's a metaphor for heavenly life in general. I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see. God will reward faithful pastors. Pastors that have responded faithfully to God's call to shepherd His flock. They'll get some type of special outward sign of glory when Christ returns. 